We're going to be looking this morning uh, at a passage in Ephesians, if you want to be turning to it. I'm going to read it in a few minutes. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. God specialises in working with people, not just in people, but with people. And he knows our hearts, and he knows how we are, he knows the state of our soul, he knows that, that better than we do. And as we sang earlier, we, in Christ alone, those words, he has our hope, he is my light, he is my song. Those are words that express a real intimacy in this relationship. And this is what the Lord is calling us to. It is to an intimate relationship, not one of distance. And God works to change us. Maybe I've changed since you last saw me. I'm sure you've changed in the last days, weeks, months or years. But God delights to change us in very particular, specific ways. And he does so to make us more like Jesus. That is his goal. That is what his his intent is working towards. So let me ask you some questions, firstly, that maybe we can ask ourselves to, to help us understand how we might let God work in us, how God might make a difference in our life. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe this is something that you just know about, but you wouldn't say for yourself that you know him personally. Maybe you're testing the water. Uh, maybe faith is something that you're, you're familiar with through your family or your friends or through your background, but you're just not sure where that is going. Well, let me ask you these questions. Who am I? Well, the Bible says that you are loved by God. The Bible says you are created by him and for him. The Bible says that he pursues you because he has purposes for you. Who are you? You are for him. Where are you going? Is God part of your life? Is he on your plans? Is he part of your life journey? What holds me back from growing as a Christian? What holds you back? Are there obstacles that you can identify? Is it busyness? Is it fear? Is it apathy? And what is your passion? I have many passions. Uh, Food is one of them. Good coffee is one of them. A shower that works when you get in it, that's always a good start to the day. wouldn't put it right up there with passions, but it's always an important moment of the day. But is knowing Christ your passion? Are you shaped by wanting to know him and grow in him? Well, it really is that theme of growing that I want to look at this morning from Ephesians. Uh, growth is a familiar, pass- a familiar idea throughout Scripture. Uh, one of the favourite uh, ways of talking about the people of God in the Old Testament is to speak of them as a vineyard. Now, I know very little about vineyards, but I do know they, they take tender, loving care. Well, listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 27 about God speaking about his people and them as a vineyard. You are a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. You get there a sense of God's care and God's intent over God's people for their growth. We look to the New Testament and you find again and again Jesus loves to tell stories. Think about the parables of Jesus and how often they relate to themes of growth. He talks about the soil, the trees, the fruits, the vine, the vineyards. John chapter 15, Jesus addresses his own disciples over that last meal the final meal, and he says to them that you need to remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. It's a picture of an intimate relationship. If we are branches remaining in Jesus, then that's a picture of us drawing our life from him, our spiritual life. And the extent to which we draw life from Jesus will see us grow and flourish spiritually. And there are countless other pictures in the New Testament particularly that look at growth. 
One of the clearest ones is financial growth, which uh, I'm guessing many a preacher has used many times over the last year. Uh, how God seeks our gain. He looks for our credit. Uh, God's bank offers a great rate of interest, but you do need to open an account to really benefit from that. So God is in the growth business. It says in 1 Corinthians, God makes things grow. can't be any simpler than that. So let's read Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 16. It's on page uh, 1175 if you want to follow it. Reading verses 1 to 16, but I'll be focusing particularly on verses um, 11 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I, Paul, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, he, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. What does God want? Well, from verse 12 here, he wants that the body of Christ may be built up. In verse 13 it speaks of us becoming mature, of attaining or reaching the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then if we become mature, verse 14, we will no longer be infants. That word means very small babies. We will, in verse 15, grow up. And in verse 16, the whole body grows and is built up. It's very clear from growing, growing up, being built up, that this growth and maturity is God's intention. It is very clear. That is the plan. Some of you will know that there has been a dramatic change in my parents' kitchen over the last few weeks. Uh, For many years, since the last kitchen refit, which I would guess was about 20 years ago, uh, there has been a part of my uh, parents' kitchen that if you were to go and visit it, would stand out from the rest of the walls. I noticed this morning it's been painted over, so uh, you won't be able to see it. You have to take my word for it. There was a part of the kitchen wall, and everything else was painted, but this part wasn't. And it had lots of little scribble marks on it. And if you were to come and visit my parents, particularly if you're a member of the family, uh, then you could guarantee you'd be welcomed in, you'd get a cup of coffee. But before you got it, you'd be pinned against the wall, someone would take a pencil, and they'd just scribble above your head if they could reach, and they'd write your name, your initials, and, and the date. 
And uh, this wasn't a bizarre ritual. It was just a, a fun thing to do. But it meant you could track how certain people growed. And uh, so I look at my, uh, my younger brother, Tom, uh, who's considerably taller than me. Uh, but at various points in life, I could point to when he wasn't as tall as me. <laughs> and that growth is a natural thing. And we understand physical growth. Uh, we, you know, it's not something I have to explain to you. Little children, even little Joshua, grow. And if the right things are in place, they grow. And if the wrong things aren't in place, growth happens. And so as we work to, to care for our children, and we try to ensure that they grow physically and emotionally, at least we, we hope they do, natural physical processes of growth are straightforward. I still remember when, uh, uh, when James first arrived. James is now six, Anna is three. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when children are born and they're, they're issued to you in hospital, uh, they come with various bits of equipment, and one of them is a small plastic tag that reminds you of their name. So if you can't remember their name, that's useful. Um, but you also get a little red book, and the red book has got at the back various graphs and charts, or, or graphs, sorry. And uh, you, can, you can track their growth. So you can see, you know, my child is three weeks old, and they weigh nine pounds, or they're 15 weeks old, and they weigh 26 pounds. And... Uh, that, of course, allows you to see whether your baby is healthy or you can worry that they're, they're chronically obese or they're drastically undernourished. And the likelihood is that they are just slightly smaller or bigger than other children. As Christians, we don't come issued with a nice little book that charts our spiritual growth. You cannot pinpoint your date of birth and how old you are and therefore determine how spiritually mature you are. It's quite possible for very young people in age to be incredibly spiritually astute and mature. It's equally quite possible to be very old in years and to be a spiritual toddler. Spiritual maturity is not a function of age. It doesn't just happen. It is a process of God's grace working. This morning I want to look at this passage and identify three particular means of grace that we find within this passage that God has provided for you and for me to grow. Three particular things, resources, that God has given us that we might grow. And the first is that we can grow through people. God's people. Well, who are these people? Well, look in verse 11. And it lists various roles or offices for us. The roles and offices are those of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. This uh, headline list is not a measure of status, uh, these aren't the first team, a kind of Premier League version of Christians. These are people with particular roles. They have specific gifts. We all have gifts, but these people have very specific gifts, and all of these gifts are tailored towards growth. They are tailored towards working through people, towards other people, enabling spiritual growth. So firstly, we have the apostles and prophets. These are in very much the foundation for growth. They are those who received God's word and handed it on to us. And so when we open our Bible, we are relying upon the words of the prophets and apostles. They have the authoritative word for us from God. And then the rest of the passage really speaks particularly to other people initially who have other roles. So initially it speaks to the pastors, teachers and evangelists. A pastor, that, that word which comes from shepherding the flock, it is those who shepherd the church. It is those who provide leadership and care, who nurture and guide it. And they themselves are under the good shepherd. And how much you have to thank God for, for your pastoral leadership, for the leadership of Jeff and Neil, and also for those who have served alongside them over the years. 
Leadership can help people grow. But then it lists others, teachers and evangelists. Those who are in ministry will evidently be teachers. But there are many others who have the gift and opportunity to teach. There are people who have spoken to me this morning and said, well, I'm not going to get to hear you. They're out the back. They're teaching. And it is a gift and an opportunity to teach young people. And in doing so, our prayer is that young people will grow from the smallest age they're able to understand, that they may grow to place their confidence in God. The evangelists. I think often we, uh, we feel that maybe I'm not a natural evangelist. And I would say that I am not a, a natural evangelist. But for some of us, we are using the excuse that we're British. We just don't do this sort of thing. Or we're shy. Or we don't have the gift of the gab. But Paul says that there are those who have given a particular gift. They are evangelists. But Peter says we should all be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. We should all be willing to share the hope that has been planted within us. That seed which we received, which grew and flourished into faith. And as we share our faith, others receive that seed. And we pray that that might grow. They may come to faith. And so there are these various people, given and that the church may grow, that people may grow, that God's grace might work in people's lives to enable growth. In verse 13 it speaks of unity. So we have growth, maturity and unity. And that growth is into the knowledge of the Son of God. And it's quite clear that this passage isn't just for those in leadership. It's not just for preachers and teachers and evangelists. Because Paul will say, we will no longer be infants. We won't be infants. We will grow up. And that is speaking to the church, to you and to me, that we will grow in our faith, built on the foundation that has been laid for us, the foundation of faith, the apostles, and of Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But we will grow up and grow up together. That is the first means of grace from this passage. Have you put yourself in such a place where God can use other people to help you grow? Have you put yourself in that place that God can actually help you grow? And are you using the God-given gifts to enable other people to grow? The second means is God's word. This is all over this passage. The people we've looked at, the thing that they do have, the thing that they rely upon, is God's word. What do pastors, teachers, evangelists and prophets have? They have God's word. That is their primary resource. And it is this word that God gives to us to strengthen our faith and to build us up. Well, what does that actually look like? Well, look with me in verse 13. This is what Paul is speaking of that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We grow in faith, that is a trusting confidence in God, a belief in God, not just a belief he exists, but a personal trust and commitment in him, but also growing in knowledge. Being a Christian really isn't complicated. It is so simple that a, that a child can grasp it. And so we believe that as children are being taught behind us, many of them will come to faith. Uh, James is six, and I would say that when he was about four, he first expressed something of what it means to have a personal faith. Does James have a great theology? No. Could he tell you how his Bible is put together? No. Could he list for you the apostles and the books of the Bible? No. Could he tell you how a spaceship flies? Yes. 
To come to Christ doesn't require us to be a child, but it does require us to be like a child. Jesus says the same. And being a Christian begins by having that childlike trust, openness, humility. The humility to recognise that we cannot save ourselves. The openness to receive God through Jesus Christ, who alone can save us. It is like a child to receive it. You don't have to be a child, you have to be like a child. But Paul says we must grow in understanding. It's not all about understanding. It's not all about knowledge and and doctrine and, and educational ability, nothing like that. It isn't merely measured in such things. But at some point, we must actually grow in our understanding. Put it like this, if you're going to grow as a Christian, at some point you you will grow in your understanding of God. You will grow in your understanding of God's ways, of what God wants, of who God is, and of what God says over your life. Those are all areas in which we grow in understanding. And the primary way we do this is through God's word. And so Paul, in this passage, compares those who are not mature, and he calls them infants, little babies. Joshua is just delightful, isn't he? Absolutely charming. But he's not mature. He's an infant. He's a child. He compares them with those who are, have the fullness of Christ. Well, what is his point here? Is he saying that the difference really is between um, ability? Well, no, it's a matter of maturity, not ability. Because the difference is, a child will believe anything. You know this. If you have small children, or if you have grandchildren, you know they are essentially very easily led and misled. They are gullible. And that's not a pejorative term, that's just the nature of small children. Children move through three basic phases. Okay? I'm not an expert in child development, but I have noticed this thing. Firstly, children believe everything their parents tell them. And they think their parents know everything. Then children realise their parents know nothing. <laughs> and aren't to be trusted on anything. And then they gradually reach about a middle ground, about the age of 35, when they think, well, <laughs> maybe their parents have some wisdom and maybe they're worth listening to. Um, At Christmas, um, uh, parents also move through uh, three phases, or children do. Uh, Firstly, they believe in Father Christmas, then they don't believe in Father Christmas, and then they are Father Christmas. (laughs) And uh, some of you will have experienced that as well. Uh, I have to say that my two children, uh, James and Anna, who you'll probably meet afterwards, they'll be the noisy ones, Um, James is limited in some of his understanding, and we went swimming about a year ago. And uh, we, we went to a local pool, and James told me they could swim. I was absolutely clear that there's no way that James could swim. He had no idea what swimming was. Um, so I said, well, I'll get in first, and then you get in after me. So I jumped in, and it was a bit deeper than I thought. It was about up to my chest. So I turned around to, to, to take James, and he was already over there, an airborne. So he was actually jumping into the pool. So James sort of disappeared under the water, and I managed to find a foot and, and, and hoist him out before any danger was done. James demonstrated that he really didn't have any understanding and he was easily misled by his own misunderstanding. He's gullible. And Paul's point to us is that we should not be tossed and thrown around by every wave of every wrong idea, every random teaching that we receive. We need to grow in our understanding, he says. Not be like little children who are easily gullible and misled. And as adults, we can be misled if we do not come to a reliable guide a solid foundation, a useful and sure truth. So the question is, well, how do we grow through the word? Well, we need to do the basics. Let it shape us. Put ourselves in a place such that we receive it through teaching, through reading, in small groups, in your family. 
It's not so much a matter of how often you get into the word, although I think that's fairly fundamental that we open it and read it for ourselves. It's how much we let this word get into us. It's quite possible to get into the word on a regular basis, to open it up, read it, close it, go off. It's much harder to let this word get into us, to let it speak into our lives. But that's what we need to do if we are to grow. The third and final means of grace is that of growing through service or love in action, if I could put it that way. In verse 12, Paul says that he is preparing God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And verse 16, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We grow as we serve, as we put our love into action. Service is a means of grace too. Many, many years ago, I was at a school near here and I learned something called Newton's second law. Uh, Some of you will know it. Newton's second law says that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Let me tell you another law. I used to work, as I mentioned earlier to Neil, in orthopaedics. And I used to work in in the business of fixing broken bones and joints. Not personally, I'm not a medic, I'm an engineer, so I used to help design the bits and bobs that that go inside people and the toolkits that the surgeons would use. And it was fascinating work, it was incredibly rewarding because you got to see people who were crippled by pain or immobility then able to go out and play tennis, walk the dog, those kind of things. Very rewarding. But there's a particular law that I, I learnt while doing this job, and that is that if you put more load on your bones and your muscles, they grow. And if you take less load off your bones and your muscles, they get thinner, they get smaller. Some of you will know this if you go to the gym. It's called Wolf's Law. I'm not making this up. Wolf's Law says, use it or lose it. God's law isn't use it or lose it. But you and I, if you are a Christian, have spiritual gifts. And God wants us, he intends us, to use them. And in using them, we will be blessed as we receive and see what God has done in us. But also other people will be blessed as they are the recipients of us serving. So it's not use it or lose it in that if you don't use your gifts, you might lose it. But if you do not use your gifts, you will lose out and others will lose out. The fellowship as a whole is strengthened as we work together, we are built up together, we serve together. You may not know your gifts. Others may be able to tell you better than you can. Some of you will be immensely gifted and not realise that that's what it is that you are doing. And often that is the way. And yet as we use our gifts, we will be changed. God will work in us, in our character and through us for the growth of ourselves and others. So three means. God uses God's people. He delights to work in people. He specialises in it. He uses God's word. And this is a great resource that we ought to treasure and use and apply. But also, he works through gifts, through our service. But as I close, let me ask you again, what is the goal of this growth? Where is it all heading? That's all well and good. God wants us to grow. But what does that actually mean? What does it look like? Why, why is this? Well, verse 12 says, we are God's people. It's a picture of his very precious possession. God is concerned for our well-being. And just as I am concerned for the growth of my children, God is concerned for our spiritual growth. Verse 12 says we are the body of Christ. The Bible says that we are 
like the bride being prepared for the bridegroom. If you've ever been to a great wedding, you know that anticipation as the bride and the groom come together. You know that anticipation when you see uh, the, the, the bridegroom at the front, looking incredibly nervous, checking everything, checking the flower, uh, checking their shoes, checking their watch, check the watch again, check the watch again, look out the window, is she here yet? The bride and the groom, the anticipation. But the great moment is when the bride and the groom come together and are joined in marriage. Well, the Bible says we are being prepared like that bride to be united with Christ. That sense of joy and love and celebration when we come to Christ and are joined in him. So as we grow, we grow to know the comfort and protection and leadership of our bridegroom, of Christ. But ultimately we are growing in verse 15 that we might grow up. God's goal is that we grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. If you are growing spiritually, then the goal of that growth is that you become more like Jesus. That your character is made more like his. It is deeper. That your faith becomes stronger. That your priorities in life are shaped and renewed so that they are aligned with his and not your own or those of the world around you. That your outlook on life is that of one who wants to know and love and follow God. Not just one who is a worker a parent, a friend, a colleague, an employee, the one who knows and loves Christ. The goal of this growth is that individually and collectively we are united to Christ and in Christ. A picture of maturity and security. Our final response should be gratitude that growth is possible, that God has provided all that is necessary for us to grow. Not complacency that God will do it anyway but the incentive to put ourselves in such a place that God can help us to grow through other people, through his Holy Spirit, applying the word and people to us. Growth is a work of grace. Maybe for some of us we need to declutter our lives, get rid of some of those things that prevent us growing. But God has provided everything that is necessary. Let's not ignore his resources and let's live thankfully that he will do the work.